1: What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, y'all? This is Classified. This is Mocha Only. This is Sean Price. Yeah, Ghostface Killer. This is Quake Matthews. What's up? I'm Brother Ali. Fight Diggy, Tribe Call Quest. Eloquent, man. What up? Styles feed the Ghost. This is Ab Abso- This is KO. And you listening to The Come Up Show, where that feel-good music lives. Hey. This is the show that you come up on, yeah. This is the spot that you come up strong, Yeah.
0: Heard. What's going on? Welcome to the Come Up Show Podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm Martin Bauman and today I'm talking to one of Canada's most promising MCs. Like our last two guests, he calls Saga City his home. He's also one of the most, if not the most, determined young artists out there. You might have heard a story of how he waited in an airport until five in the morning to meet J. Cole. You might also have heard a story of taking a bus to New York City with just enough money to get by eating peanut butter sandwiches so he could try and track down Dreamville's president at his house, which he did. This is our last podcast for a little while and we're finishing the year on a high note. I promise you, you're going to want to listen to the whole episode. I'm joined by a good friend of the Come Up Show, John River. We talk about everything from believing in a greater purpose, to race relations in the Black Lives Matter movement, to the pressures of success and the fear of failure. Take a listen. First off, shout out to Mississauga. This is the third episode in a row where we're featuring Mississauga artists. We did T-Lo two episodes ago, then Junior T, and now back with John River once again. Okay. So shout out to Mississauga. Shout out to Clarkson as well, because we caught up with Junior T last time. He's Clarkson too. Oh, see you. Well, I want to start off on that note, thinking about the just the sheer number of artists coming out of Mississauga. If you look at somebody like you have yourself, you have Rich Kid. You have JD Era, Smash Brothers, Lo, Party Next Door. You look at all these artists and you realize that there's a lot to be proud of coming out of Mississauga. So tell me about Mm -hmm. that, uh, your own experience of living in the shadow of a place like Toronto, which is such a, I don't know, it just kind of absorbs everything around it and dominates that. But yet you find an identity as a Mississauga artist and come to be proud of that. So tell me about that.
1: All right. Well, I'll be honest. Um... I don't think there's more artists from Mississauga now than there were before. I think that people just didn't want to say they were from Mississauga because Toronto was the big capital. So, but this is the way I see things. Um, when I came out with the calm, I saw everybody, and doesn't matter where they're from, everybody was saying they're from Toronto, and I'm not from toronto i'm from mississauga sure that's the greater toronto area and all that if somebody from toronto says yo john river man like you're from toronto that happens all the time like Mm -hmm. most of my shows are in toronto so people like yo john river you're from toronto blah blah whatever of course i'm a rapid. rep like of course i'm not gonna deny people from toronto from there but i live in a city called mississauga so when people ask me where i'm from i'm gonna tell them that when i do a mixtape and i talk about my city like that's why i wanted to put that out on the calm my First project. My name is Matthew Jonathan Derrick Huey. I'm from a little city called Mississauga. In Gr- but you know what happens? Party Next Door blows the fuck up. Blows the fuck up. Yes. And when he blows up, he says, yo, I'm from Mississauga. Whatever. Uh, this is exactly where I'm from. Once he popularizes the f- phenomenon, it's like, just like everybody remembered all of a sudden that they're from, you know, Mississauga.
0: The floodgates open. So yeah.
1: if you look at... Ex- yeah, you know, and if you like to me, I think that's fucking the worst shit ever. But at the same time, on the other hand, like Rich Kid is one of the biggest Toronto rappers we have. It's bigger than just Mississauga. So even though, because mm-hmm. Richway will say he's from Toronto, but he's still shouting out Ridgeblock, and Ridgeblock is in Mississauga, you know. So if you're from the city, you know, he always reps where he's from. But once you get to a certain stratosphere, you represent the whole the whole area. It's bigger than just Mississauga. So it's, it's, a, it's a catch-22 situation, you know? It's super immature to be like, you're not from Toronto. You said you're from Toronto. Nobody gives a fuck about all that shit. But at the same time, it's kind of like a lot of, there's a couple of people who just abandoned the city that they were from until somebody from their blue, And now they're like, ah, like, like if you listen to Redway, Redway's always said he's from Mississauga. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So just things like that.
0: Man, it's been a long time since we caught up. So tell me what you've been up to, first of all.
1: Um, I've been saying controversial things like that. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> um, nah, man. You, I've been working on this mixtape. Um, I've been working on trying figuring out what rap is and 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 how to how the industry works from a mechanical a business, an industrial standpoint, um, you have to understand the market that you're in if you intend to have any type of success in it. And if you're uneducated on the market that you're operating in, then your percentage and your opportunity of having success will be very limited and very low. Um, So talent is a beautiful thing. A work ethic is a phenomenal thing. However, without knowledge, understanding, a general conception of the people that you work around and where, where money is made what's publishing how much percent is, is is normal for a managerial contract like what is socan do i need to be using socan do i want a grant do i need canadian what is the cc uh, crtc what are all these things that are instrumental in the business of hip hop if you get on And you're making 7%, and you're not on, and you're making 47%. Are you on when you're on, or are you not on when you're not on? You understand what I'm saying? So, I started, I dropped the com as like the 17 year old who, I I think when I dropped it, I was 18, but it was maybe 16, 17 year old who wrote all the music and made all the music. Maybe dropped a month after my birthday, but a 17 year old who thought, I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna rap, I'll be phenomenal, and I'll blow the fuck up. And I didn't hit a wall, but I hit reality. And reality was a lot of people think that you are very good at what you do. Nobody is arguing that. A lot of people think you could go on to be one of the best rappers ever in from your city, so on and so forth. And that shit makes you feel really good. And then there's a lot of people who say, You're good, so what? So what? So what? You're good. He's good. She's good. He's good. They're good. Everybody's fucking good. That's why we're here. But what is going to separate you to really push you past and excel through the barrier of the demographic, how little people there are, all that kind of stuff. So you have to really grow up. You have to stop bitching over the fact that, oh, my God, I dropped a mixtape that I thought was amazing that a lot of people are saying is really good. And why aren't I on yet? You have to shut up. You have to stop complaining. You have to get educated. You have to be willing to listen. You have to understand that maybe you're not the best rapper in the world when you're 17. Maybe you have a shitload of work to go. Maybe there are people who are just way better than you because they're just, they incorporate a lot more in your music than you do. Maybe the more you listen to your first mixtape, the more you realize hey, maybe there's some flaws in this shit that I could really fix. Maybe you sound exactly like Kendrick Lamar or J. Cole, you know what I mean? Um, which exactly is how the calm sounded, you know what I mean? Um, maybe you sound exactly like another artist and then you get out of Dodge and you realize, oh my God, this cannot happen. And you hit reality, you know? And you can quit or you can say, this is where things really start for me, you know? Let me go out and try and find myself and really find a fashion of carving out a lane for myself as an artist. But the first thing you have to do is find yourself as a person. When you're 17, you don't know what the fuck you want You don't know who the fuck you are. Oh, my God, the girls that you're talking to, the friends that you're with, the shit you're doing on the weekend, the clothes you're... You know, I'm only... I just turned 20, so, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's funny that I'm saying this now. I'm still young. But once I found myself as a person and, like, what I stood for as a human being... And I stopped caring about everybody liking me. I got out of the high school phase, you know? Mm -hmm. My music followed suit.
0: What was that wake-up call for you, that moment where you... When you say you hit reality, what was that moment like?
1: I don't think I've hit reality yet. Because I've never... I'll say it like this. There's never, for a second, been a moment where I thought to myself, I am not going to blow up and I'm not going to be the biggest rapper in the world. I believe it wholeheartedly. It's like, I think it's a calling, you know, I, to me, it's like, this, somebody said to me the other day, what's the point of not believing in God? When you die, nothing can happen. Or you could live your life thinking there's a God. And when you die, maybe there is one, but you might as well believe in him. That's their, that was the way they said it, And I laughed, you know, because it was an interesting way of looking at it. But that's the way success is in your hip hop career or whatever career it is. You may as well believe you're going to, if you don't make it, oh my nigga, you don't make it. So okay, you didn't get it. But you might as well believe wholeheartedly in yourself that you're going to do it. So for me, I've always, it's, it's the thing that I don't question. I've never questioned it. I, I don't have doubt. I'm lucky. I always know. So I didn't hit a reality point where I was like, maybe I'm not going to make it. I hit a reality point like, ah, man, I'm still going to be the biggest rapper in the world and marry Alicia Keys, but it's just going to take a little bit longer than I expected. And I think that could have been after the calm dropped and it had like a thousand downloads in a day. And everywhere I went in my city, people were like, yo, you're going to be the biggest rapper we have. I always thought that I was definitely one of the best rappers in the country but Drake was still like a lot better than me you know I'm a very realistic person I'm very objective you know JD era like uh line per line like that's the guy who was under like his polished rap game was so much better than my rich kids production was like a lot better Devin Tracy had a better image Redway had like better confidence than than necessarily I did a lot of people were better at me in individual things you know so I was very objective I know that I wasn't, I I could have been very good overall, but I wasn't the best at any one thing, not even in my city, you know, but I thought overall, I had a package that, given my age and the lack of time I would be rapping that would really propel me and it started off like that. And then after a while, it just stops. And then you realize, that happens for everybody in a place where Florida has more people than your whole country. You know, Mm -hmm. so You know what I mean? Like, there's only so many people. 50,000 people watched every evening. We have 600 or 700,000 people in Mississauga. Like, what more can I expect? You know, like, is that Mississauga's whole hip-hop listening demographic? Maybe. So I realized, even at the height of my momentum in my city, 50,000 people watch a music video, thank God. But, yo, that's still not enough to blow you up, my nigga. You got to figure some other shit out. You better fucking go wait in the airport and hope (laughs) you meet J. Go yeah, you know I'm saying? That's my mentality, right? So, there comes a point where you realize, because we are where we are, yo, we're going to have to do more than everybody else. And we still may not even get there, but we're going to have to do way more than everybody else. So, all the Breakfast Club interviews that I'm watching and the Hot 97, even though I think they relate to me, they don't really relate to me. Because I did what they did. And people like my music how they like my music, except for they just have like 400,000 more people in 270 kilometers.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know? And that's just reality.
0: Where do you get your sense of confidence from? This idea, this unchanging faith that you are going to succeed? I know a lot of people, I think that's almost a critical element. In order to succeed, you have to have that belief in yourself. Yeah. yeah. No matter what, you are going to end up where you want to get to. Where did that come from for you?
1: Man, I don't know. I it's going to be it's going to sound like the most cliché, horrible quote ever, period ever. <laughs> um, but it's going to sound this is going to sound so horrible. And and don't cut out the fact that I'm saying it's going to sound horrible. So when somebody reads this, they're going to be like, "Okay, at least he said it was going to sound horrible." Um, I was born with it. It sounds horrible. It don't sound so, oh my God, it sounds so bad. It sounds like something from Iron Man. But I always knew that I had a greater purpose. It's weird. It's the weirdest thing in the world. It's the it's the thing that allows me um, to find a guy at an airport and then go and just happen to find him at New York. It's the reason why everything that happens for you happens, but you have to follow it. And I used to do speeches when I was in grade six and grade seven and grade eight. Uh, Nelson Mandela, Muhammad Ali, whatever it may be, um, child soldiers in Africa. That's how I started off. I was going to be Craig Kielberger, you know, I was going to and and, and and I love soccer so much, like incredibly. And and we got to a place where there's people from different countries. And my, my best ability was my ability to work hard and, and lead men alongside me and gain their respect and also motivate them. But I always thought to myself, in the back of my head, I couldn't shake it. If I spend my life playing sports, I'm going to waste such a wonderful gift to possibly change people's lives. But I've come so far in sports, I don't want to go back to the ground zero somewhere else. What, like I'm going to have to start all over again. And it got to a point where, when I was supposed to go back, like uh, we had trials at Juventus and KievO and Parma. And the clubs were just uh, uh, phenomenally too big, you know? And I knew at that point, listen, man, you have to make your choice. But some days I see like the Malala side thing, you know, and I want to stop rapping and I just want to go do activism because I really have always had this thing. I really want to change the world. And I just really feel like I would be wasting my life if I didn't find out what this like feeling that I've always had for a greater purpose really was. I, I thought I'd be selling myself short. I think that's been the biggest growth process of, me as a human being, of understanding that you have a gift, you decided to follow it, and now you really got to harness it and change the world. It, it, I sound like I'm rambling a little bit, and it may have gone a little skew, but that's really like the deepest inner thoughts of my mind on that.
0: Thinking along that line of things, I think an interesting question a lot of people might struggle with is you have this vision that you are destined to do these great things, how do you then maintain a sense of humility or reconcile what you know to be, you just you sense it, but then like, people from the outside, they see that and they say, look, this guy is so cocky. How do you uh, maintain a, a sense of humility while still understanding that you could have a greater purpose?
1: I think humility and having a greater purpose are connected. So this is the way I see it, right? With interviews with you, I'm always extraordinarily candid, more Mm -hmm. candid than than I really ever am, just because I want to be honest. You know, I don't want to bullshit. Right. Um, I can't afford to not believe that this is going to happen a billion percent. You can't afford because the moment you have doubt is the moment you fail. Now, at the same time, you have to you can never get mad that somebody may not believe what you believe in yourself, because it's not their fault. It's your fault. I'll tell you why it's your fault. When people told me I was throwing my life away when I stopped playing soccer to come rap, I'm not mad at them. I'm very grateful for them. Because you know what it means? It means that at one point in time, I wanted to convince them that I was going to be something. And they believed me. And now Mm -hmm. that I've moved on to something else, they still believe in the me that sold it to them. You know? And that says so much. So when people say that, I don't know if I necessarily see your vision. That's not the point where you're like, well, you're a hater, baba. No, 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 no. A lot of times I find when people don't believe, it's not that they don't believe, it's that they want what's best for you. And they're having trouble seeing how what you're seeing is what's best for you. So you have to keep in mind, people that you talk to about these things usually have your best intention in mind. And if they're having a difficulty seeing things the way you're seeing, then you need to do a better job of finding a fashion of communicating and reaching them. And you can't get impatient. So you want people around you who are going to say, yo, honestly, I don't think it's going to happen. or Because they're always looking out for your best interest in their own respective way. And the more difficult it is for me to convince somebody to see my vision, the harder they're working to make sure that I make the right decision. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? So, the more resistance you get from somebody in regards to them believing in your dream, then the more you're going to have to accomplish, the better you're going to have to be at your craft to bring them over. And that's beneficial for you and it's beneficial for them. So, a couple things are important. You're not better than anybody else at any point in time. I never feel like I'm better than any specific human being. And I don't ever feel like my purpose is greater than somebody else's purpose. However, given the societal structure that we have right now, the purpose that I feel that I have for myself just so happens to involve the opinions of other people. Like, let's say Uh, I wanted to be a doctor, right? I don't have to convince anybody that I'm going to be the best doctor. I go to school, I get my degree, and I start practicing in rap to be the biggest rapper in the world. If that's your vision, you cannot be the biggest rapper in the world without the approval of the opinions of other people. Compared to if I want to be a doctor, I don't need anybody's approval. I need a degree. So when your vision is dependent on the opinions of other people and swaying the opinions of other people, it's a very fine balance because if they ever for a second believe that you don't believe in yourself, they won't believe in you. But if they ever for a second believe that you think you're better than them, then they won't believe in you. Mm -hmm. So how do you convince to them that you're 100% confident, you have no doubt, but at the same time, you're not cocky, you're not arrogant, and it comes with patience, it comes with relating, and it comes with dedicating just as much time to their purpose as you want them to dedicate to yours. So... That's my best. Whenever somebody comes to see me at my show, I'm going to tell you I'm going to be the biggest rapper in the world. But when you're having your event or when you want you need canned goods for food, I'm going to be there, too, because I'm going to support you because I want you to get to as far as you want to go. And I want you to help me get to where I want to go. And I find the more that I help people that help me, the more willing they are to believe that, hey, you know, maybe he is really selfless. And he really he really just does believe That this is it And after that happens long enough They start believing in you as well You know But it's a fine balance It's a phenomenal question Because there's a very fine line Between not doubting yourself And being the biggest asshole Slash douchebag That anybody has ever seen Before in their life
0: Absolutely yeah
1: I, yeah, yeah absolutely Hey yo To everybody their interpretation Is going to be different But Bro look at Kanye West You know <laughs> Yeah. If that's the biggest artist in the world and that's the biggest ego, you know, I, I pray that I'm that I'm more humble. But at the same time, how am I supposed to question his humility when he's reached the success level that I want? You know, what I mean, it's a fine balance.
0: Okay, I want to get back to something you brought up earlier. This idea, and I'm going to pull on a, a Twitter quote of yours. Okay. Because uh, one thing, if, if people follow um, you on Twitter, they know a lot of the times you're you're offering up these pearls of wisdom or. I don't know if they're reminders to yourself or things that you Thank want to you. share with other people. Thank you. But regardless, uh, the one thing you say is the only thing stopping people from reaching their full potential is their unwillingness to push through failure and see past obstacles. This is something you yes. touched on. Yes. Tell me about that.
1: Yo, know, life is hard, man. It is the hardest thing that you'll ever do, right? But it's like this. Okay, this is the way I see things. The more you want from life, the more you have to give we live in this phenomenal phenomenon where you can do or be especially in north america i don't want to like completely throw out all like feminist opinions so Obviously, women are, are at a disadvantage given the way our society is structured. They, they, I, I think it's a lot harder to be a woman in 2014 than it is to be a guy, you know? So they may have to work harder than we can, you know? It's going to be hard for a woman to be a quarterback in the NFL. So I understand the lack of privilege that they have with this saying, you know? But we can be anything we want, you know? We live in a phenomenal country. I think, I, I, like, if I want a chocolate bar right now, any type of chocolate bar I want, I can get it if I so choose. It's, it's amazing, right? So if I want to get a chocolate bar, it's easy for me. I can go to the hasty market down the road. I can get one. Now, if I want an Xbox, okay, things got a little bit harder because an Xbox is kind of expensive. Yeah. So now that, you know, now there's a step in between. I may need to get a job before I get an Xbox, but I can still get that Xbox. It's not that bad. Okay, now I want a chocolate bar and Xbox and I want maybe... I want people to know me when I walk around these malls, you know? So maybe that's around 10,000 views on YouTube. It's going to be a little bit harder, but I can still get it. You know, we live in a world we can get anything you want. And then we say things like, I want to be the biggest, insert name here, in the world. I want to be the biggest rapper. I want to be the biggest bat, I want to be the best at what I do. And now it's not a chocolate bar, and it's not an Xbox, and it's not people knowing you at a mall There's 7 billion people in this planet. And sometimes when things get that big, people forget that we live in a phenomenal world where you can do or have anything that you want. Because the obstacles get so big, they just completely retire. And they just forget that It's just an Xbox and I just need to get a job. It's just the O. Henry bar and I just need to get a dollar and fifty cents. They can't look at that big obstacle as the dollar and fifty cents and they can't look at that big goal as a chocolate bar. They can't because they just see it as something they just, they just cannot pass and they cannot overcome. And you know why that happens a lot? Because they've never seen somebody do it before. And, and that makes it difficult. And who was it? Somebody said, some famous guy said, you know, you, people will believe there's an invisible man who created us all, but when you tell them paint's wet, they have to touch it to see for themselves, right? So if somebody believes in God and if they're able to believe, which, uh, what is it, like 88% of our population or something like that believes in a divine being, you know, if you believe that somebody could have created us all, whatever, you know, Allah, you know, Babaji, whatever it is, Jesus Christ. If you believe there's somebody somewhere up there who has this kingdom that we, if you can believe all of that, why can't you believe that you can do these things in this world that seems so much more realistic to the average person than Jesus? And They believe in that so wholeheartedly a woman who goes to church every Sunday who who, who can sing won't even go to a karaoke because she's scared, right? So who's telling us that we can't do these things? You know, who's telling us that we can believe that somebody can snap their fingers and I was meant to get into a car accident, but I can't be the biggest rapper in the world? Because I think that believing in God is a lot more of an incredulous task than believing that I could be the biggest rapper in the world. But we don't question when people believe in God. You should go Mm -hmm. to church every Sunday. But the moment I say, hey, let me take a break from high school and let me try to be the biggest rapper in the world, like, you are crazy. So who's more crazy? The guy who believes in the invisible man that created us all, which I do as well currently, you know? Or the guy who says, yo, why don't I be Drake for a day? Or why don't I try and be that? And they tell me every day that, and I'm just using religion as a basis, you know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they tell me every day, God is real, even though you can't see him. But I can see the biggest rapper in the world, but they try and tell me that's not realistic for you. But I can see it in this world. So it's just perception. You understand what I'm saying? It's really just perception. That's a perfect analogy of when you really think about it, which one is more realistic? I've been to a Drake concert. I haven't been to a God concert yet. <laughs> but, right? But I believe that God exists. And I believe, and, people, and people believe that heaven exists for them, but they don't believe that their own dreams exist for them, right? But heaven is safe. It's easy for people to believe. But it's hard for them to believe in themselves, right? Which is incredible. So what I want to do, what I decided to do is that I'll do both. If I believe that somebody created me and snapped their fingers and took a break in seven days and created this phenomenal universe that we live in, and I believe that I can go and get a chocolate bar, then I believe I can be the biggest rapper in the world. The obstacles are going to get bigger, but my work ethic is going to get bigger, too. As the obstacles get bigger, I'm going to get bigger. And as things get harder, I'm going to work harder. And I'm going to show you and everybody, not to prove you wrong, but to prove me right and to hopefully bring out the best in all of you. And... That's amazing. And when people do that for those moments, when somebody spends 30 years in jail because he really believes that apartheid should be thrown out, or or when somebody marches on Washington, or when somebody says, yo, I'm not getting up off of a bus because I think that I'm black and I deserve to be here, the world changes, usually for the better. Or a 14-year-old girl gets shot in the head for speaking about women's rights from the... When people take that extra step and they say, even though the obstacles are bigger, I'm going to do it, it doesn't only change the the world for them, but it changes the lives of millions of other people to come. And I feel like I'm lucky enough to have the confidence to do that. I need to. I have to. I don't have a choice. I would be letting so many people down amongst myself if I didn't do it. It's my responsibility. It's part of being a man for me or a woman. You know, you got to. You got to take that chance. And hopefully thousands of other kids and adults as well later, once I get to where I'm going to go, will look within themselves and start believing in themselves too.
0: You know what it's like? It's like the the idea of the four-minute mile where before it had never been done, this one guy does it. And then after that, immediately, people start being able to break this four-minute mile. Nobody been able to do it before. But the minute one person does it, then it becomes possible.
1: It it, it becomes possible. So the crazy thing is that people are still telling me that it's not possible even though it's been done. So you have to look at then... So if the four-minute mile has been done, then why are people still telling you that the four-minute mile can't be done? You know why? It's because they're saying the four-minute mile can't be done now. But It used to be the four-minute mile can't be done. You can't be a famous rapper and book. Then that happened. Now they say... The four-minute mile can't be done from somebody in your situation. Yeah, the guy guy did the four-minute mile, but you're not in his situation. In these specific circumstances, the four-minute mile can't be done. Mm -hmm. And then you got to go do the four-minute mile. And and, after I do it in my situation, they're still going to tell the guy, oh, well, John River was... uh, Right, (laughs) right, right. right." So all you can do is a four-minute mile in your situation and knock off one thing from the list. Okay, so what? So what? I did it. And I was A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. So what what are you going to do now? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So right now there's this thing. Toronto, you can't blow up from Toronto. You can't stay in Toronto. You can't stay in Toronto. Okay, so once you do that, do a million people from Toronto blow up? I fucking hope so. But you just got to get it, you know?
0: I look at that quote, that idea of pushing past obstacles, going around them. And it reminds me of the links that you went in order to make an impression on guys like J. Cole, the Dreamville team, going to an airport at whatever time in the morning that was. yeah, what, yeah. Kept, what kept you motivated during that whole pursuit and that whole dream?
1: Yo, fear of failure? I was more scared of failing than I was excited to succeed. Um, I think I just made the mixtape of the year. This doesn't help my cocky thing. <laughs> I'll be honest, right? I think I just made the mixtape of the year. And at a lot of points... There were times when I thought to myself, this is good, I can make it better, but I didn't I wasn't even sure if I wanted to make it better. And it's because I was scared that if I make something that's really good and it doesn't do well, then I'm the biggest bust in the world. I'm the biggest failure in the world. Like I'm the biggest joke. And I'm not gonna lie, I get scared by the lack of opportunity that we may have and just the difficulty that it is to really do what I want to do. I get so scared. I'm not going to, I get like ridiculous and fear drives people sometimes more than courage does, you know, and you don't want to fail. You don't want to be the guy who could have been the best thing in the world and have people around you know that you could have been and you weren't. That's almost worse than not being good at all. And the better you get, And the more the industry around you that's been failing stays the same, the more scared you get, the the, the more fear you get. It's your whole life. And while you're scared, everybody around you is telling, yeah, by the way, but it's never going to happen. So it's really you on an island. And that fear will make you cry. It will make you It'll drive you to like the lengths of insanity and it will make you do incredible things because you're so scared that you're not scared of the things in the way of stopping you from getting what you need to get. So my fear of failure is so big. I'm not going to give myself credit for being brave or courageous because I don't think I was. I'll be Mm -hmm. honest. You know, I think I was scared of failing and I was so scared of failing that I was willing to do anything to not fail. And to not waste my potential. And I think, honestly, for young black kids, it's so much worse. Just because every five seconds, people are always telling us how we're wasted talent. And we waste our potential. So not only are you fear scared of failing, you're scared of being like every other nigger that they talk about on the news. And I say nigger because that's how they portray you, you know? they You're scared of being another black kid. Like, you're just bunched in. It just makes you feel so unspecial and ununique. And there's already so many people in the world. And... You, always, you already struggle to feel like you're important and then you just get bunched in with all these people and then you and look at the Mike Brown and Eric Garner thing. You already feel like nobody gives a fuck about you, you know? Like nobody cares mm-hmm. about you. And you get an opportunity and you become relentless because you know, like, no, no, like you need it. Like you need it. Like you need it so bad. I'm not going to fail. I can't. And then waiting in an airport and going to new york those things seem regular they seem regular you know they don't they don't they're not big things they're things that i should do because i'm what what's 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 worse than not doing that is the worst thing ever i could go to an airport whatever that to me it's not once you get to that mindset where yo the only thing i can't do is i can't fail i can't i can't everything else is whatever you know what i mean just because like mm-hmm. it's like you know what I mean? It's when people go through life-changing experiences and they say, okay, well, I'm not scared of heights anymore or whatever because they were that close. Failure to me is such a big thing that everything else is, pales in comparison to it. So when I do meet J. Cole or whatever, I can do those things because in the back of my head, this shit is a lot easier than failing, you know? I'm a lot, mm-hmm. I'm a lot less scared of this than I am of failing,
0: the alternative is much worse, yeah.
1: Yeah, thank you. The alternative is much, much worse. So I'll do this for sure. Oh, this is whatever. So to everybody else, they're like, oh my God, but but they don't know how badly I don't want to fail. I haven't put succeed in there yet. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't want to give myself that credit. I'm not like this super driven, like, you know what I mean? Like, Or else I would have been an A plus student if I, you know what I mean? But I think I just, I'm still immature. So I'm going to say that I don't want to fail rather than I'm mature enough to say that I want to succeed, you know, that badly. I want to succeed, but I'm more scared of failing. You know,
0: do you think that's a healthy way to go about things? Are you still able to enjoy the the process of, of what you're doing? Or is it, and I guess, you know, the, the idea of or failure, is it critical to success or is it, is it a detriment to, to a way to live?
1: It's, it's taxing on like your, your mind and your body. Every time, like, people get annoyed with me sometimes, like, friends of mine, because I'll go out with them, I'll hear music in the club, and, like, I just get so, like, frustrated. I get so worked up just because I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, how is this guy on already? I need to be on. Like, why am I even out here? You become obsessed with it. You become, like, I I can't tell you, you know, I can't see how anybody could have gotten where they are. Without being this way. Because you just become a completely different person. But it's what you think about from when you wake up. to It ruins personal. You know there's no time for personal relationships. Your only relationship is with your future. You know you feel guilty when you don't spend time with like. Your mom. And your dad. And your family. But when you do. You feel like you're spending too much time with them. And you should only be focused on rap. You know what I mean? So. It, it really fucks up your life when you think that any means is necessary mentality. And your, your life isn't balanced. That's why. There's no balance in your life. There's no family, friends, music, work. Like, normal people have a good balance in their life. It sounds like a very simple thing. But when you're trying to do something that's so outrageously high-ceilinged to be successful you're gonna put all your time into it and the rest of your life is gonna be severely lacking. That's why so many artists are assholes and, and dicks because their personalities never developed because their craft was developing to such an elite level. That's why we still, like, worship the intellectual or thought. We think to ourselves, how did you have enough time to get this good at your sport and develop your personality? Because most people can really only do one. You know what I mean? It's, it's life. Like you only have so much time in a day, and the harder. That's why, like, some people will tell you Drake is an asshole. Some people will tell you Drake's the nicest guy in the world. He's the biggest rapper in the world, yo. When you when you get to this point, like, you realize that what people don't get is if somebody is at that level, like, for them to have gotten to that point in their career to to have such an influence on on our people, like, is he more influential than our prime minister in Canada? Think about it. Think about it for a second. Really think about it. If Stephen Harper tells everybody to wear red tomorrow and Drake tells everybody to wear blue tomorrow, what, what color do you think you're going to see more? It's going to be a fucking toss-up. You understand know what I'm saying? So, for you to get to that point, I don't give a fuck what you're like. You're amazing. Like, congratulations. And then, that's the way I see it now. And some people are going to say that I'm an asshole for thinking that way too. You know? And I used to think... I was like that guy who was like, oh, celebrities are dicks. Like, they don't want to take photos. Like, blah, blah. Like, when I get on, I'm going to be real. And I'm going to be... Yo, you get to a point where I'm at right now where you're halfway through the trenches. And, like, they're fun stories for people to talk about once they get on. But when you're living it, yo, it's your... So when you get on, man, like, yo, I don't care whether you're an asshole, to be honest... I don't care whether you're a douchebag. Yo, if you got on, congratulations. So a year ago when you spoke to me, I was really like, well, yo, you know, I want to meet people and I want artists to be, like, exactly, like, great people. And I want... Mm -hmm. Yo, when I meet an artist now and he's a dick, I'm not bitching about it, you know? Like, yo, for you to have gotten to this point, you must have done some amazing shit. However you got it, congratulations. Congratulations. So I, like... When you're young and you're kind of naive to the process, people are like, well, Drake is American or somebody like, oh, well, Nicki Minaj, like she got butt shots or there's nothing to say. This is one of the most difficult things to do in the entire world. Like it's so hard. It is so, so, so hard. Like somebody said to me like 30 rappers drop an album, maybe a year, you know, or in 10 years or four, four or five years, like 30 rappers have a major release. Like that's less than one football team. You know what I mean? Like, yo, how many professional rappers are there? So when you get to that point, yo, congratulations, B. I have nothing bad to say. So the whole personality thing is a toss-up for me now. You know what I mean? I still try and be a good guy. Like, I try not to be a dick. Like, I try to keep my head on the ground and not have a Every now and then, my head's up my ass, you know? I, I can't help it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, you know? I get a, you know, every now and then. And people tell me, and I'm like, sorry, I was being a dick, you know? Like, my head was, I thought I was bigger than I was. I thought I I thought I was important. I'm I'm not. But there is that semblance that, yo, know, when you get there, really, nobody can tell you anything because it's so hard. If you got there, you accomplished it, right? You kinda of get what I'm saying a little bit, yeah. you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. I want to go back to something. You you mentioned you brought up Eric Garner and Mike Brown also. You think yes. about what's happened lately. And yes. uh no, I'm gonna pull up another tweet of yours. You say it's about time people started to riot. We talk about Kim K and red carpets and a whole bunch yeah. of other stuff all day. This matters. You went yeah. to a you went to a rally a while ago, I believe.
1: I went to the Ferguson rally, yep.
0: What was that atmosphere like?
1: Honestly, Martin, look. I'll be real with you, man. We live in a society where, at least in North America, one person's color used to make them less of a person. That was not a long time ago. There's a very, I'm I'm very conflicted at all times on topics like these. Mm -hmm. Very conflicted. I grew up in Mississauga. Half of my friends are white. Half of my friends are black. Half of my black friends think white people are all racist. All police officers are racist. I have a black cousin who is a police officer. I have a black cousin who was murdered in, in, in street gang violence, right? So I've learned a lot of things. And I, I'm really taking my time because I really want to be thoughtful here with mm-hmm. what I say. We need to stop killing black kids. We need to stop killing black kids. It needs to stop happening. In North America, and in because this is a problem. People say they don't like when rappers say nigga. The reason I say it is because the moment I say nigga and I say nigga, I'm no longer offended when somebody calls me nigga. You need to come up with something new to say. I think getting offended by the word nigga is racist. You mean to tell me you can say one thing to all black people and we're all supposed to automatically lose our cool, act like monkeys and, and, and do something ridiculous? That's, that's incredible. That, that's telling you that all black people think the same way. That tells you that all people of the same skin color should all have the exact same opinion on one thing. That's why I say nigga when I rap, because to me, I'm not going to get offended by the word nigger just because I'm black. That's racist, if you look at it like that. That you expect me to do something because I'm a certain color. Now, the problem is, black people expect me to feel a certain way when they say that. So black people have stereotyped me to say that when somebody calls me nigga, I have to act a certain way just because I'm black. Now, when a white woman who's like 80 years old sees me pass her, And she grabs her purse. She has the exact same mentality that I have to do something to her just because I'm black. And this is why these Michael Brown and Eric Garner things are so horrible because what it does is it starts that self-segregation again. Black people get up together. Yo, it's me and it's you. We got to stick together. White people don't know what we're going through. White people don't have to face the same things that we face. And now I'm conflicted because what are we doing, right? Are we dividing ourselves even further? Are we really driving the wedge in between black people and white people even more? Are we blowing out the proportion of the actions of one individual police officer and separating ourselves from white people and alienating ourselves even more and telling black kids Talk to other black kids because they get you more than a white person ever will. White people, you will not understand what we have to go through. We're going backwards. Or are we going forwards? Because if we don't do that, then will we ever actually address that black people do face things that are different than white people face? And if we don't talk about it, we'll never fix it. But the more we talk about it, the more we segregate ourselves. The more we talk about it, the more we segregate ourselves. I'm never, ever, ever going to feel like another black person that I don't know has more of a right to be at a Michael Brown or Eric Garner rally than you do because you're white. A lot of people, half the people at that rally felt that way. They felt like certain white people didn't have the same right to say things that black people did. I think that's the most ludicrous, absolute ridiculous thing ever. If you're at that rally, whether you're black or whether you're white, right, you're a person. And you have an opinion about what happened, and you're just as le- you, you you should have the same right to speak about it, and the same right to express your opinion on it. And because you're white, does not mean that every single white person's actions are responsible for you. Because if they say that I am responsible for every single black person that has murdered somebody, then they're racist pigs. But if white people can't talk at a black rally because a white person murdered somebody, then we're saying every single white person is responsible for the actions of every single white person. But when they say every single black person is responsible for the actions of every single black person, it's racism. So if I don't want to be looked at as every single nigga that has ever made a horrible decision and be classified in the same way, then why are white people not allowed to talk at a, at a rally for black people? Because what, a white person killed somebody? So what, this white guy in front of me does not have the same sense of justice or morality as I do just because he's white? Because now we're being racist. I'll say it. I will say it. We're being just as fucking racist. And I don't blame black people because what are they supposed to do? They're trying the best way they can. I just don't know how much it's actually helping. You understand what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I think there's there's two things that jump out to me. One being that I agree. I think a Black Lives Matter rally should be should not be just for Black people. Anybody should be able to attend. A, you don't not you don't have to be Black to be able to say that Black Lives Matter. The other Thank thi- you. The other thing is the challenge of. I'm sure it must be very hard to bear the burden of representing an entire race whenever you're forced to speak about an issue like that. It's it's difficult like because you cannot speak for everybody that that has the same color of skin thank, as you. Do. Thank, Just like I cannot speak you. for every white person. It's 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 impossible to expect anyone to say the That's same thing. That's
1: the problem. That's the problem. Every time I speak, they say like people in my community would say, "I tried like it, it's so it's so conflicted, right? But people tell me that you're a good role model for young black men." That's the problem right there. I know that black kids I I do this, I'm not going to lie, I do this so that young black kids can look up to me and not make poor decisions. But that's racist. I should be doing it so young kids look up to me and don't make poor decisions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I've been brought up knowing that you're black and everything you do will reflect on all black people, not on all people. But the moment I say, I'm not doing this just for black kids, people say, well, you're not focused on what really matters. So it comes down to the point where, how do you talk about an issue for just one set of people without it being racist? And I'm going to tell you the answer. The answer is by including everybody in that conversation for that one person. Mm. Now, this is the counter argument. Why do white people get a say on how black people are treated if they don't have any experience on how black people are treated? Very good point. But by that ideology, then I should never be at a women's rights rally. Mm -hmm. Right? I should never say Ray Rice should get suspended. I should never stand up and say Chris Brown should go to jail for hitting Rihanna. And this is what I think we're missing sight of. Objectivity. You know why there's a judge in a court and there's a jury? Because we don't trust the people involved in the situation to make the best decision. They don't have Objectivity. The only time we are able to come to conclusions in a democratic society is when an outside party is able to speak about what is happening. And if we don't include outside parties, then how do we expect to happen? Because if if what we're saying is the only people afflicted in a situation can deal with something, then we would have no judge in a court of law. We would have the defendant and we would have the plaintiff because those were the only two people involved and nothing would go anywhere. So I don't believe that the only people involved need to be the people affected because there's no objectivity to the rest of the world. When a white man comes out and says white people aren't treating black people well, it has more validity because he's not black. So we give him that that sense that, well, if he's not black and he's saying it, it must be true. Mm-hmm. When Hannibal Burris says, yo. Bill Cosby needs to stop raping women. He's not a woman who's accusing him of rape. So it must be true. When guys come out and say Gian Gameshi did something wrong, we find them to be objective because they don't have anything to gain from the situation and they share our opinion. So the moment we close out white people from from these rallies and discussions, we've lost our objectivity and we've lost our leverage. Mm -hmm. And... We've hurt ourselves. You understand what I'm saying?
0: I want to break up another tweet of this. I think that's is a good way to sum things up. And you can, you can share what you like on this as well. This is what you tweeted before. We are all going to live and we are all going to die. When you really think about it, we are all we will ever have. Let's try acting like it.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's the thing, man. Like, uh, if, if people just took the time to get to know each other, If people just took the time to get to know each other, I've had a bad apple before that I still eat apples. You know? Mm -hmm. I've had bad pizza before. I still love pizza. The bad hamburger. I still love hamburgers. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. If we took time to get to know each other, man, like you would find out how much we all have in common and the only thing separating us are ourselves and our portrayal of ourselves. I can't remember the last time I described somebody as, like, a black guy or a white guy, like, or, oh, my God, it's, ah. Isn't it frustrating, though, when you really think about it, man? Like, Mm -hmm. when you have black friends and white friends, you don't have black friends, you have friends, you know? And the further you are privileged and the further you are unprivileged, the worse your stereotypical opinions become. And it's, it's I talk about it a little bit in this mixtape, but it's the money and the business and the economy that separates people so much more than race. It's not black people are criminals. It's poor people are criminals. And more black people are poor than they are privileged. It's not that white people are are, are, are privileged, it's wealthy people are privileged. So the question isn't, how do we stop getting black people to be so violent? The question is, how do we stop getting poor people to stop being so poor? And why are so many black people poor? Mm -hmm. That's the questions we need to ask ourselves. So I look at it from wealth so much more than I do color. If you're wealthy, you're probably going to have a better education. You're probably going to be more articulate. Not if you're white, if you're wealthy. Now, if the majority of wealthy people are white, then we start drawing those different conclusions, right? But the problem comes down to the economical roots. And if you see Barack Obama as the president of the United States, and that's somebody who looked at it from an economical standpoint and look at how he prospered, you know? He said, that guy's not the prime minister because he's white. He's a prime minister because he went to Harvard. So let me go to Harvard. And then we have a black... Uh, sorry, a president, president but now, yeah. we, now you, you know, right? And then you have a black president, right? So let's look at the bigger issues. And once we get past color and I, for me, it's not a, it's not, a, it's not a hard thing, but once we get past color, you're good, no, you're good, you know, um, you got to get past color.
0: I know Shad is a mentor of yours.
1: Oh, I love that
0: guy. Uh, who doesn't love Shad? He uh, he was on the Strombo show just the other day, and one of the things that they talked about was the role of artists in times like these. Yeah. Uh, some will say artists have a greater responsibility to speak out because of that platform that they have to create music that protesters can march to. Others will say that artists, their their job is to entertain and offer a sense of levity, a sense of release, I guess, or you know, just something to get away from all the tough stuff. What do you see your role as, as an artist in a time like this?
1: Yo, my role is, there's too many, there, yo, I, I completely understand the release and and that, yo, I'm an artist. So what I'm going to say is if you're an artist and you so choose to be silent in times like these, I am going to judge you privately. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to publicly judge you, but I'm going to privately judge you. And I'm just going to know who you are at that point in time. Do I think artists have responsibility yeah, I do. Is it completely contradictory to what I just said? A thousand percent. But how can you stand around and not say anything? How can you stand around? So you can look at like, I'm, I'm like, what is, I, I know too much and I, I owe too much to let it rest. What is that? Yeah, I, that's it, yeah. Right, right. You can look at it like this, right? Say I sold a million records, my first, the Taylor Swift, for instance, right? Say I sold a million records first week. Michael Brown subject that comes up. You know what? I got an album coming out. I'm trying to sell a million again. If I talk about Michael Brown with my big country-based following, yo, fam, I'm going to sell maybe 700,000. 300,000 people are going to be like, that kid deserved to die. You're a country singer. We live in the South. These are all red states. You know, 300,000 albums we're going to lose, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say Taylor Swift doesn't say anything. This is just an example. She makes 300,000, let's say 300,000 more albums get sold, right? Let's say she makes $3 off every album, right? Maybe 3.3 or whatever. Let's say she makes a million more dollars for not saying anything, which is a reason why a lot of artists don't say anything not to hurt their brands, right? Like, we can agree on that. A lot of people don't say things because they don't want to hurt their sales. So let's say Taylor Swift makes a million more dollars for not saying anything, right? Mm -hmm. Then she donates 500,000 of those dollars to crime against young black males association that's why it's hard to judge people that's why that is why you can't judge people Nicki Minaj does a video for anaconda gets 10 million dollars to shake her ass wildly say the people could say that it influences kids in the most horrible way she takes four millions of those dollars and and gives to little boys and girls clubs all across and builds homes for people we don't see those things mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a catch22 right? That's why it's hard for me to say whether an artist should say something or whether they shouldn't say something because we don't know what not saying something really means for them. How, like, because then an artist can say, "Look, I can say something and get a whole bunch of retweets and lose a million dollars, or I can take this million dollars and go make actual change." And somebody else may say that million dollars isn't going to be half as much as as what you're going to say and what you're going to speak out and what that's going to do. So I've been I've seen a lot of people like. It's not, it says more about somebody when you stay silent in times when you were supposed to speak. But we also say actions speak louder than words, right? So let's say you don't speak and you make more money and you do actions, but then people do speak out and we reward them, but their actions are unmeaningful. We need the balance of people who speak and don't speak. It's just your personal choice. But I hope that if you don't speak, you're taking the advantage that you got from not speaking and using it towards the cause that you should have spoken out against.
0: That's a great way of, of, of putting things. And it's something that a lot of people, myself included, would not have even considered th- that there's a whole other side of things to that.
1: Yeah, it's hard.
0: I want to bring up another quote. This is sort of related. Uh, you, you tweeted, it's not how much you say, it's how much it means to the people you say it to. Tell me about that. I,
1: I'm, I can't believe I tweeted that. That sounds pretty deep. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah man um it's it's like the tipping point you know um Malcolm Gladwell it's just uh, there, there's an example of a printing company who sells 400,000 400,000 400,000 then after he's reached a certain point it now becomes stupid for people not to have printers the next year they sell, they they sell 40 million and it it, it comes down to Ryan Leslie had the same approach, in a sense, where he's talked about the marketing of his album. I don't need to sell 500,000 copies for $10. I need to sell 5,000 copies for $100. That was a different way of looking at it. But if we use this in a musical sense, okay? Let's look at it from a business standpoint. People say these days, go independent. Go independent, man. You gotta go independent, man. The labels, random fans be watching The Breakfast Club. They don't really know what the hell they're talking about. But they just see you. John River, man, you're good, yo. I know you're gonna sign a deal. Yo, stay independent. I have no idea what your situation is like. But I, I heard I heard independent is good, so stay independent. That's the new thing, right? People say that shit every five fucking seconds, yo. My brother, yo, if you can stay independent, if you can stay independent, but this is what they gotta understand, right? Look at it like this. Um, J. Cole for instance, or I'm Drake, or I should stop saying Drake. Um, I'll use somebody else. I'm Drake, or Jacob, okay? <laughs> and this is just an example. I have no idea how much they actually make, right? But let's say I sell a million copies of an album, right? And I make $2 per album. I make I make $2 million off of selling a million copies. But hold on now. Say I'm, um, maybe I'm Macklemore, maybe I'm Macklemore, and I sell 100,000 albums. I sold 900,000 less albums than Drake did, or J. Cole, or whoever, but I don't make $2. I make $10 off of an album. Okay, now I have a million dollars, right? And I sold however many less copies. So to make that example good, what I should have probably done was say I sold 200,000 in a Macklemore, right? So 200,000, but I make $10 a piece. I sell 1 million, but I make $2 a piece. We both got to the same number. It's the 5 plus 4 equals 9 and 8 plus 1 equals 9. We could get to the same number, but, but just doing it in different fashions. And in the, I realized that the approach I'm going to have to take with the music that I make it's not going to be the mass flow rider. You know what I mean? Like, let's sell a whole bunch of... you. It's a... Like, that's just the way hip-hop is for artists like me. You have a message, you're core following. It has to be... You have to speak to people. It's not how many people you speak to. It's how much you speak to the people that you do. Because... You know, We live in a world where people drop free mixtapes because they understand that they're making 12% off of an album that's being sold for $12, but they're making 87% off of a ticket that's being sold for $112, and they're going to go on 34 dates, and they're going to sample music, and they're not going to have to pay for it because it's a mixtape, and their career comes off of touring. And, and people say, why do rappers keep dropping mixtapes for free? They're not dropping mixtapes for free they decide to take 87% of $100 rather than 2% of $10. And that's because, but now when you're with the label and that album, you're at stadiums and there's more people, but with the mixtape and you have those 200 people that come out to see you, Big Sean, Macklemore, whoever it may be, what you said meant more to those people. And in this day and age, that's why Tech9 is what the fourth or fifth biggest earning rapper every year in and year out because mm-hmm. he says stuff that means a lot to some people, and that's who he sees repeatedly, and that's what our industry has become for the rapper now. You know, that's what it is now for the rapper. Every now and then, you get a you get a Bob or you get somebody who blows into the stratosphere, but. For the rapper in this day and age, it's not how many people you touch. It's, you know, how much, you know, it means to the people that you do speak to, right?
0: Okay, here's another good one in, in line with that line of thought. You tweeted, I've turned down more money in rap music than I've made in rap music. If yes. If you want to do it, do it your way.
1: Yes. you yeah.
0: You had a deal on the table and you said no to that deal. Yes. How come?
1: Well... I love Demi Lovato. I don't want to sound like her yet. Um, I'm joking. I'm joking. Bad joke. Horrible joke. Because I decided to bet on myself. Jeremy Macklin is a great receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's had a, like, I don't know if people watch football, but he has an incredible, like, He had his incredible season. He's had an incredible season. He's been amazing. And he was coming off an injury going into this year. And they said, look, we're going to offer you a new contract. And he turned it down because he said, you know what? I'm going to bet on myself. Jimmy Butler from the Chicago Bulls, they offered him a contract and he turned it down. He said, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to play this season and I'm going to bet on myself. And I think that at the end of the season, I'm going to be worth more than Mm -hmm. that. And that's what I decided to do. I decided that I was going to bet on myself. And I said to myself, look, what I'm getting is not nearly good enough slash, you know, it's going to solidify me as a success, you know? in the world's eyes, but I'm too good. I have too much potential to not try and fucking blow the fuck up. Like like blow, like really change the world. And like, you gotta take that chance on yourself because I thought I got to a point where I thought that, yo, this is my, op. Okay, we go back to failure. This is my way out. Mm-hmm. Like, yo, I'm so scared of failure. Somebody offered me a deal. This is my way out, man. Like I, I, I'm not gonna fail have it this is my option I could just I could take the easy way out right here this is it Mm -hmm. and then the inner voice kicked in like yo I know when you started this is all you wanted but along this journey you've realized that you could be bigger I know you're gonna it's scarier and it's bigger but you could do so much more for so many more people that's not saying that people won't come back and offer me that later you know I'm not throwing anybody under the bus but you never think you're gonna turn down money and when it comes to that point, they're going to, based on how much it is, obviously, right? Um, and what the situation is like, and what they're asking you to do, you'll find out who you are right then and there. I didn't think I was that guy. I didn't think I was the guy who was going to... I was so scared of failing that I didn't think I was a guy who was going to turn anything down when I got an opportunity to not fail. And I think that those are the slight inklings where... It's not you're scared of failing anymore. Now you want to succeed. Now you want to succeed because you had your option to not fail and you passed on it. Why? Well, there has to be another reason. Maybe you wanted to succeed and maybe your definition of success was different than your definition of not failing, which is is very interesting. To me, that wasn't failing until I got there. And along the journey, I found something in myself where I realized that I didn't want to fail other people in the perception, but now I was failing myself. I couldn't fail myself. I, this, was, this was going to make sure I didn't fail everybody. I would have been the guy everybody expected me to be. But all of a sudden now, I didn't want to fail myself. And I wanted myself to succeed. And you have to take a chance on yourself. You have to. You have to. And that's what I decided to do, you know. I'm telling you, man, my engineer, this guy, Minty Burns, he's a great rapper himself. And he said to me the other day, he said, yo, listen, man, I've been mixing, because he's been recording the mixtape, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, look, you're going to be the biggest rapper in the world, or you're going to be the smallest guy outside of McDonald's ever. You're (laughs) either going to be, you have the highest ceiling and you have the lowest floor. And I agree completely. I I agree completely. But... You got, you, got to, you got to go for it, man. I don't know if I can live with not getting there, but I'll find out if that ever happens. But I can't live with not trying.
0: All right, I want to go back to something that we talked, uh, talked a little bit about earlier in the interview. You were talking about this idea. Well, I want to relate it to something. Junior T was just on the podcast, and he talks about this concept of divine time, things falling into place that feel like more than mere coincidence. You get a sense that you are destined to do certain things. Yes Yes. You have a quote like that too You say everything in its time and nothing before it So you have this idea of things Happening in your life Where it just starts to feel like it's more than just coincidence Yeah Tell me about your uh, experiences with this And also learning to trust that feeling as well
1: Okay um, Funny story When I was in grade 9 Or grade 10 Grade 9 or grade 10 I I stole a girl's phone. I stole a phone. Mm -hmm. I I didn't know it was this girl's phone. I didn't know that. I think it could have been great. I don't know. I didn't know it was this girl's phone. Okay. Didn't know it was this girl's phone. And I felt so bad. Not really. I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know (laughs) if I felt bad. Um, So I sold it to a friend for $45. Okay. One of my brother's older friends, I was looking to buy an iPod, and uh, the iPod, he gave it to me, like, uh, he, like he, were, he was shopping it around, I said, yeah, I'll buy it, and when he gave it to me to look at, it had photos on it of a guy that went to our school that I knew, so I knew the phone was, the, I knew the, uh, the iPod was stolen, I said, how much is it? He said, it's $45, I said, okay, I'll take it, I buy this iPod, right, $45, we're in gym class. I come back to the change room. Apparently, somebody stole this iPod. This iPod that I just got. My $45 iPod. Shucks. The next day, Madame Urbano, a teacher of mine, she asked me to go help out and do this skit um, about, like, sexual uh, transmitted disease, like a health health class thing for the, for the new grade nines. I was in grade 10. The girl was in grade nine. And um, so I'm doing this skit, whatever, and, and these people had come in to help us do it. Meanwhile, halfway through the, the, the performance, there was a kid who was talking. This is, a, this is an auditorium of maybe 120 grade nine. okay? So a kid was talking, and a teacher switched him with another student because they didn't want, they, they were tired of him talking. When it finished... The people that had come in to help do this, like, performance with us, like, there's some organization who comes into schools and has some students help out and uh, with the skits. And, like, it's really funny. And it's just to give kids, like, sex ed in grade nine and stuff like that. They said, listen, we always want to reward people for listening. And we have a grand prize here of $45 to one person who has a smiley face sticker under their seat. We're going to give it to Matthew Derrick Huey here, which is me, who's going to present it to you. These people look under their seats. And this guy starts yelling, the guy who was talking. And he's yelling because the seat that he just vacated happens to be the seat that won. And the person who's in that seat is the grade 9 girls whose phone I stole maybe three days ago, and she walks down to the stage, and I give her a $45 envelope, which is the most fucked up thing (laughs) in the fucking world ever. What the fuck? Oh my God, what the... And she was just looking at me, and she was like, thank you so much. And I just gave her back her phone. And in the meantime, I lost my iPod, Because I should have had my fucking iPod stolen from me because I was a dick. I stole a phone. Then I bought a stolen phone. and my stolen phone got broken. Then I had to do some some performance I didn't want to do. And some girl's sweet. And I gave her the $45 back. I haven't stolen anything since in my life. Anything since. Because that was... I don't know if I believe in God. But that was the most clear as day... This is what you don't do, and it's okay if you do do it. It'll all catch up to you. I was going out the other the other day, leaving the studio. I figured to myself, I, I never ever litter. I'm like, I ah, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little tired. Of her. I drop my cup outside of my car. I pull up, police pull me over. Literally, five, they have me outside of their car for thirty minutes. And I said, I know I shouldn't have. Fucking, I knew I shouldn't have put my cup down. I shouldn't have littered. It just happens like that. Maybe other people don't see it like that, but after that incident happened, I knew that, yo, what you put out is what you get back. So when I go to meet J. Cole and I go to New York and they're like, yo, we've only been here for four hours at this house in the last four weeks. What are the chances? I said, yo, if I do good, it's going to happen. Because when I do bad, it comes back. It does, it does. It's it's weird. It's really weird. But to me, that was my moment. That was clear as day. It was in a different light. It had nothing to do with rap, but I got it. You know, I understood.
0: We haven't talked a lot about the storm yet. I'm sure there's a lot storm. to uh to talk about this way. I know you can't say a lot. Yeah. You're probably holding on to certain things, but what can you what are you uh well what can we know right now?
1: There is um what can I tell you? The story continues. I can tell you that. Martin, man. I think I could have... This is going to sound really crazy. And only people who listen to this podcast are really going to get it. And people are going to think I'm really weird. And only some people who... Maybe if you know me, you're going to believe me. Because I've been pretty honest. Martin, man. I think I could have...
0: One of, I have a very good mixtape. Okay, <laughs> plan it safe I, I have a very, yeah.
1: very good mixtape. Um, let me not jump out the the works. I'm not going to say, I, I'm not going to lie and say that I don't know what I have though. I think I, I think I made something that can change lives for a very long time. Um, yeah, no, no, I think so. I don't know, like, I'll be, I'm being really honest, you know, but I don't know if it will blow if I just put it out tomorrow. It's it's all going to be whether the situation is accustomed with the person who sees the vision. If you're looking at it in a certain fashion, this could be one of the best mixtapes ever made. If you're looking at it in another fashion, it could be one of the worst mixtapes ever made, but for the people that have heard it so far, I think this is like generation like I don't know, like I'm not going to lie. I don't want to lie to sound modest. I'm not going to lie to sound fake modest. Like I think I could have made one of the best mixtapes that could be made. In general, I think so. I'm not going to lie. I I I, I, I I w- I, w- I wouldn't be done if I didn't think it was good. Everybody thinks their mixtape is good, but I did more. I I I, I th- when I was playing soccer, there was this thing where you practice more than you play mm-hmm. because when you're playing, you're not getting better. A lot of people thought the calm was one of the best mixtape they've heard. Like that was like the review process for it. But I had just started rapping, and and I thought to myself, "Yo, man, look, I got to get better, b." I like when you don't think you're that great, you have to get better. So, I've spent two years like, I should be a lot if the calm was better than things were before. I should be a lot better now, you know. That's just how it should be. But I crossed the barrier with this mixtape where I listen to it. And it, Matthew, Dirk, and John River, like, they don't compete, like, they don't compute. Sometimes I listen to this shit like this shit is incredible. Some of the stuff you want to cry when you hear, and it should be good because it took me a long time. It's kind of how it works, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's what's just so scary, man. Because it's good. It's really good. People who have listened to it think it's better than I think it is. Because you know, they're, I'm more critical. But yeah, no, it should be. I keep saying I've told people I have the mixtape of the year. I got the mix of the year. You gotta keep saying it. You got. Yeah. But I think I do. I think I really do. Um, I heard Forest Hills Drive. And I thought to myself, J. Cole is the best rapper in the world by a mile. Still, you know, he's still way ahead of everybody else. You know, and then I'll listen to Drake's album and be like, yo, he's way far ahead. But it's time you put yourself into competition with some people. You know, mm-hmm. it's time when there comes a time where you stop looking up to people and you start trying to take their spot, and and not necessarily take their spot. That's a bad way of looking at it, but start to compete. Mm-hmm. Start to be viewed as a peer. And I don't have like the money or the fashion sense or like the hose or the good looks necessarily or like the cars or the fan base maybe to compete with all of that. I don't at all. I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, I'm not like a six foot two light skinned basketball player or Drake who was on a show. I don't have all of that. But I do have music and I do have good music. And if you didn't know who was doing rapping which album you should have a hard time telling me which one is better with anybody that's currently excelling in rap music right now so i i I know what i am you know i don't have an image yet because my music is so such a variety i make a lot of different sounding music it's hard for people to sell me because i don't i'm not in a box so That's what they look. They look for packages to sell because it's easy that way. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily a package to sell. I'm a very, I try to be an average mundane person. I'm just somebody who doesn't see the value of spending my money on clothes before I blow up because I don't need it to be on my clothes because you don't download my clothes, you download my music. And I want to put my music, that's my job. My job is to make good music. That's my job. That's what I decided. When you listen to my music, I have a responsibility to make sure you don't waste an hour of your fucking time. There's a million rappers out there. Like I think the person I respect most out of all of rap is the listener. And that's why I've like I, I people I have the best relationships, I think. I don't even say fans, just people who fuck with me because I respect them and they know I respect them. Like I saw a guy who he was really sad that I hadn't dropped any music in a while and I had like the mixtape so far and i didn't know who he was but he liked my music so i let him listen to my album like in the middle of the street you know Mm -hmm. and he 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 fucked with it but he deserves it you know like i'm sorry i took so long to make music but if you really fucked with john river then you should want me to get better so that like i can make something that's better for you to listen to you know so i don't want to let people down in my second project if you liked my first one man like yo And you took an hour, think about it, people take an hour out of their time to listen to a random guy's mixtape that they heard about, like, thank you, you know? Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's why, like, I don't, I'm not big on, like, getting paid for shows and shit yet. I know I will be from a financial standpoint, but when people take time to listen to your story, man, talk about your problems, and I'm just really happy that I'm grateful, you know? I'm, I'm really grateful. I get that it could be anybody else, but they chose for it to be me. And when they're like, "Yo, I'm going to do it. The next time you do it too." You're like, "Yo, I got to make it better for you then. I got to make it really great." So, with all the hype and shit, I don't really get caught up in all that shit. People are like, "Yo, John Maverick, I don't really get too caught up in all that shit. I want to be the biggest rapper in the world. Yeah, but that keeps me hungry and I want to make sure that if you're listening to my mixtape, like I I made sure that I I gave you quality. You know? Cuz all you have is your name and your music. People can say a lot of things, like, John River doesn't... John River, like, somebody... A lot of people in the industry have said that over the last year and a half. He doesn't have an image, like, you know, like, he doesn't... He's not out in clubs, and, like, you know, he's... I'm sorry, man, like, I didn't sign up necessarily for that. I signed up to, like, really make good fucking music that is going to change people's lives. And that's what I'm focused on. And that's what I put my money on. So I don't want to have, like, lack of budget in music, you know? So... I put all my money into the music. Like I put, I took like I got loans from people. I said I would work full-time jobs. I did door to door sales. I sold furnaces. I sold, man, I did everything I could. I went out and got, I asked, like I had managerial situations where I was like, listen, they're like, we want, I said, listen, all I care about is, can I get a, can I get this here? Can I get that? All in producing the music. A lot of things changed the way I looked at things. The first time I heard Ten Day, I realized that background vocals are actually supposed to be in rap music. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I listened to Travis Scott and I was like, "Wow, like transitions are a thing." Same thing with Kanye West. Like I listened to a whole but JD Era. Like, oh wow, like he doesn't make mistakes in his polished flow. Drake, like his mixing is so much better than mine. My music is absolutely horrible. Like I can't believe I put out <laughs> this project. Yeah, you know, so. A lot of people are better at me at a lot of things, but I tried to make sure that when I put out this project, it definitely had the opportunity to be the best overall overall project. You know, um, That's the only thing I have full faith in. The only thing in my life that I have full faith in is my um, mixtape. My mom said to me, she said, what happens when you... When you when this mixtape's done, you're gonna have no money and you're gonna be in debt and you're gonna be work. I said, don't worry about that. The only thing that I'm worried about is this mixtape. Once I have it, I'm good. That's my that's my key piece. That's all. That's the only thing in the world I can control is the music I make and and I'm gonna put my belief in it. I believe that if I make something good enough, it will take me to where I need to go. I don't and you know I put, maybe I do that because I don't have enough money. I'm not, I don't have enough money to to do that. I don't have the right situation. You know, I don't have all the other stuff. I don't have the budget. I don't have the, I don't have the where's. I don't have the connect. I don't have any of that shit, but I still believe as naive as it is that if you have something that is good enough, they'll find you and people will find it and you'll end up where you need to go.
0: You know, that sounds like a good time to wrap things up. Is there anything else that you still want to share?
1: Usually whenever you ask me this I try and say something like super deep <laughs> and it takes 8 hours so no um the only thing I would say and here I go um is that if you're listening to this or if this is me listening back to this in 2 years as I probably will or you just know that I'm trying you know I'm trying you know um I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. I've made a lot of mistakes, but it's hard and it's frustrating because you think you have such immense talent, but it's like the hardest thing in the world to get it out. And when the storm blows up, and I'm going to say it's going to positivity, when it blows up, just know that I did it on purpose. I'm not going to say that I didn't expect it. I have to have expected it to do. I put everything into it, and it should blow up. And it, this should be the new standard of what music sounds like. Oh, my God. I sound like a pompous asshole. I'm done. I'm finished. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> it's been wow. a pleasure catching up with you, man. It's uh, yo it's man, fun. Thank you.
1: I appreciate it. I like the facial hair, too. I like what you got yeah, going yeah, on I'll, there. I'll keep
0: it a little while, you know.
1: <laughs> All right. Yo, bro, thank you, as always, man.
0: Thank you. I'm very excited, as, as I'm sure many people are, to hear the storm when it's finally ready to be heard. I wish you the Thank best you. of luck heading into the new year, and uh, and happy holidays, too.
1: Thank you. All right, I'll be in touch.
0: Well, there you have it. If you want to know more about John River, go to thecomeupshow.com. We've got lots of music to check out there. If you enjoyed the show, help us out. Subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, too, at the Show. We're taking a break from the podcast over the holidays and I'll be overseas for the next couple months so our release schedule will be changing for the short term but stay tuned because there will be more for you in the new year. That's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. (laughs)